0: Turn uh, in your Bibles to First Timothy, Chapter Five. This is God's Word. Has no errors in it in the original language in which it was languages in which it was given. In this case, in the New Testament Greek, and we have the promise uh, that faithful translations of the original languages remained uh, to us uh, the authoritative word of God. God has preserved His word; it is dependable, it is trustworthy, it is true. Listen to God's word as I read it to you, starting in verse. 17, reading through verse 25, 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who are guilty of sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also may be fearful. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment for others, their sins follow after. Likewise also deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Praise the Lord for it. Let's pray together for God's blessing on the message. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is a true, it is a sure word. Uh, we can stake our very souls on what it says, our eternal well-being. We thank you uh, that you are the speaker herein. Yes, Paul is speaking, but ultimately you, Holy Spirit, are the one who is, has written this to us. And we thank you that it uh, has uh, very significant application, uh, this passage and every other passage, to us in our day and age. Would you please be with me as I seek to unpack uh, faithfully what you have said here, and apply it to our lives. Would you, Lord Jesus, be our prophet uh, afresh, as you have promised to be? And would you please honor yourself uh, through this our response to your word preached? We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Children, do you love Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus to make you right with God? If you are not, you need to be, because you're sinners, just like Pastor Mark is a sinner, and all of us in this room, and indeed every man, woman, and child in the world. We are all sinners, and we all deserve um, God's punishment for our sin, which is what hell is. Um, but we need to be trusting in Jesus as our for our forgiveness from God. And if we are, we will... Uh, we will not go to hell, but we will go to heaven, and we will be blessed in this life as well. So if you are trusting in Jesus right now, I hope and pray that all of you are, you young children, um, and you love him, you're a Christian. <clears throat> you're in Christ, spiritually speaking. But even though you are a Christian, children, if that indeed describes you, do you realize that you are still a sinner, even though you were a Christian? Do you realize that? Shake your head if you realize that. Okay, good. It's true. Even as Christians, you're still sinners. Did you know that your parents, though Christians, are still sinners? Did you know that? Yeah. And did you know that Pastor Mark and the other elders, the other church leaders in this church, are are sinners and capable of sinning? Yeah. We've all got this problem, even as Christians, the problem of sin. And this passage that we're looking at speaks particularly to um, the issue of uh, church leaders, elders. Uh, uh, Paul had, in a previous section of this uh, letter, chapter 3 in particular, actually chapters 2 and 3, had spoken of the elders... Uh, who are uh, also called uh, by us in, uh, in reformed circles, and perhaps outside of reformed circles, I don't know, uh, under shepherds, uh, who are uh, who have delegate authority to shepherd God's people. That comes to us from the Great Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Great Shepherd of the Church <clears throat> and the King of the Church. And we are His elders, are His under shepherds, who are responsible for caring for God's people. You. Uh, and everybody uh, in our congregation caring for your spiritual uh, well-being, and not just always your spiritual well-being, sometimes your physical well-being as well. Uh, but this passage is about elders, uh, and one of the things that we're going to deal with in this passage is what happens when elders, church leaders, sin. Something needs to be done about that. Sadly, in all too many churches, nothing is done about that. Nothing good, anyway, or right is done about that. But this passage deals with how to handle sin when it's one of your church leaders that is doing that sinning uh, and either isn't repenting of it or is engaging in some sort of a serious uh, public sin um, and is discovered, that sin is discovered. And we'll talk about that in the second point. Uh, but before we get to the three points um, of the sermon, I would just want to remind you in the previous uh, section, uh, well, actually, I'll give you the three points right now. Um The first point is we're going to look at the compensation of uh, elders. That's in verses 17 and 18. Secondly, we're going to look at the discipline of elders. That's what I was referring to with you children a moment ago, and that's in verses 19 through 21. And then finally, we're going to look at the ordination of elders in verses 22 through 25. Uh, But first, we're going to look at the compensation of elders. In the previous section, just prior to this one that we're reading here, in verse 17, so earlier in chapter 5, Paul has been writing uh, about the church's, a congregation's duty to honor widows who have no children or grandchildren to take care of them. The church is to honor those widows by committing itself as a church body to provide for the material needs of those women who are without anybody to, in their life to provide for those uh, material needs widows were particularly vulnerable members of society back in this day uh and the church's duty was to care for those who had nobody had no other family members to to uh, to take care of them and to shelter them and protect them and and provide for their uh for their needs uh, and so the previous section dealt with uh, that widows are to be honored that way they uh this uh the new american standard calls them widows indeed Paul now, starting in verse 17, so we've been talking about honor, honoring widows, he now goes on to say that the church's teacher-preacher, I'm going to call him, uh, or call them, the church's teacher-preacher needs to be similarly honored, just the way the widow was honored. The uh, the widow that he said needs needs this help because she doesn't have any uh, she doesn't need to have any children or grandchildren. She needs to be provided for. Um, and in the same way, Paul says the, the teacher preacher, or what we call him in PCA, the, the teaching uh, elder, needs to be similarly provided. That is to say, provided for. That is to say, he needs to be given what is necessary to, su- to sustain him and his family. We're talking about compensation here, which is the first point. Let me read verses 17 and 18 again. Let the elders who rule well, this is a subset of the category of elders, as I'll I'll point out in a moment here. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Or actually, you can translate it, that is, those who work hard at teaching and preaching. For, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and, in other words, and the scripture also says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. So, this speaks of compensation, among other things. It speaks first and foremost of about honor, okay? Honoring the elders, and particularly the elder who not only rules, but also works hard at preaching and teaching. So... Uh, the elder that is in, in uh, or elders that are in view here of this congregation that uh, Timothy is over in Ephesus, or any other congregation, uh, particularized church, he says these are folks who rule. First of all, that is to say, and this is something that all elders do, whether they are the primary teachers in the church or not. In the PCA, they rule. They oversee, they lead, they direct, they provide or exercise spiritual oversight, and they care for the spiritual needs of the members that God has placed under them in the church. And those rulers whom Paul says need to be honored uh, must be rulers who fulfill this shepherding responsibility, I'm going to call it. Well, they need to be people who are uh, men who are are good elders, shall we say. Uh, they are striving to be faithful and there is evidence that they are being faithful to do what they are called to do by the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the ones uh these are the types of elders that are to be remunerated in the ways that are uh, uh that I'm going to get to here in just a moment. Uh uh so they rule and they rule well, but those whom Paul says are worthy of this double honor, I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. They don't merely provide spiritual oversight or rule in the church. They also are men who not only rule, but they are also men who work hard at preaching and teaching. Teaching is really, uh, preaching is really teaching, uh, plus exhortation, as, uh, as I like to uh, say. Somebody, I stole that from somebody else years ago. Um, but that's what preaching is. It's a common, it's more than just teaching. It's, it's exhortative. It's hortatory. There's a word I hadn't used in a while. It's hortatory teaching, uh, which means fancy word for exhort. Uh, at any rate, uh, so the elder that uh, the elders that uh, Paul has in mind here as he's talking to Timothy are not only ones who rule but who also work uh, hard at uh, preaching and teaching. Elders who, in other words, spend much of their time preparing for or actually engaging in the noble task of ministering God's word to God's people, ministry which takes the form of either preaching or teaching. Note well here uh, Paul's assumption in verse 17 that such teacher preachers will toil and vigorously labor at this responsibility that they have of teaching and preaching. This means, folks, that a faithful minister of Christ, a faithful pastor or preacher, whatever you want to call him, may not and will not throw his sermons, his Bible studies, his Sunday school lessons together half-heartedly or in a mere hour or two, and then go out and play golf. That's what that means. They work hard. Nor will such a minister of the gospel preach a sermon that he has pulled off the internet and tweaked a little bit. I've never done that, and if I do that, fire me. No, a faithful minister of the gospel is one who labors who prays over his sermon preparation and the sermon itself, who studies and meditates upon the text that he is preaching from, who struggles to understand what Christ is communicating through the scriptures that he's looking at, and who strives to grasp the logic and the flow of a passage and crafts his sermon with that same logic and flow, more or less, and in a rhetorically uh, uh, helpful way. That's, what a faithful minister of the gospel will and must do or he's, unbe- he's being unfaithful. Please pray for me that I will labor to do these tasks even better than uh, I'm doing them now because there is room for improvement. <clears throat> but Paul says such men who rule as well as teach and preach are worthy, he says, of double honor. Two different types of honor. What are they? Well, First of all, uh, let me make the point that they're worthy. It is something that they deserve because of the hard work that they are putting into the tasks of preaching and teaching and ruling. And the honor that is due to this teacher-preacher from those to whom he is ministering is a twofold honor. So here it is. What's the first uh, honor, if you will? Uh, first, it refers to honor in the sense of esteem. And respect, not putting him up on too high a pedestal, I would add, but esteem and respect is is due to uh, such an individual. And secondly, it refers to honor in the sense of honorarium. Some of you have heard that term, honorarium. Honorarium. Uh, which comes from the word honor. It's related to it, and but what it's ref- a reference to is monetary compensation or m- material compensation. I guess doesn't always have to be in the form of money. I guess um, in uh, in some places it might be in the form of goats. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's c- monet- uh, it's compensation, as by the way, verse eighteen makes clear with its reference to wages, which we'll get to here in just a second. Um, and, and by the way, compensation that is sufficient for him to take care of his and his family's material needs. I have heard stories uh, here in uh, East Texas of churches that uh, their, the pay that they give to their ministers is pitiful. Uh, the, the minister can barely eke out an existence and somehow that, they consider that, well, that's the minister shouldn't have much. That, that part of him makes him more holy or something because he doesn't, because he lives like an ascetic, because we don't pay him enough to live any other way. That's sin, folks. That's sin. It's evil. It's wrong. Um, and uh, but you folks are not guilty of that even remotely. Uh, you folks have faithfully given me what I need and my family needs for almost twenty. Six years, you are very generous, and I am very grateful. But that honoring preaching pastors, I'll call them, in these ways, is a divine requirement, is evident from verse 18, which is the rationale for the requirement to, uh, to give double honor, uh, the double honor that I've just referred to. Uh, verse 18 says, for, there's the reason why they're worthy of double honor, uh, uh, including honorarium, compensation, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Let's look at the first one. First of all, you must not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. This is a quote from the uh, Mosaic Law, from Deuteronomy in particular, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. On the surface, this law that Paul quotes, uh, uh, The point of the verse uh, is, or seems to be, that an ox that is threshing grain has the right, or has a right, to sustain himself by eating the fruit of his labors. In other words, while he's threshing the grain to eat some of the grain that he's producing by by his labors as an animal. But of course, Paul is not talking about animals here. Neither was Moses entirely back when he wrote it in Deuteronomy. But the Holy Spirit, through Paul's quill, both here and also, we won't look at it today, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 9 and 10, similarly, Paul, or the Holy Spirit through Paul applies this principle of the ox, uh, not being muzzled while he's threshing. He applies it to humans, specifically to those in full-time Christian ministry, if we can call it that, who labor at teaching and preaching in addition to ruling. And the fact that God is quoting from the law, God's law, through Moses, from Deuteronomy, means that God is commanding, because Paul, a New Testament apostle, is citing this scripture, it means that God is commanding the New Testament churches to obey this principle in their dealings with their teachers and preachers, teacher-preacher. and he's saying that uh there and this is the principle of uh general equity that uh how uh, scripture verses in the old testament which may uh be ceremonial um, and but still have by the principle of general equity application even though the ceremonial component is gone application in the new testament age and this is an example of that here uh but then he says For the scripture says, it says two things, you should not muzzle the ox, and the scripture says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Anybody know where that's found? Actually, never mind, don't don't raise your hand. I'll tell you. It's found in the New Testament. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. And also, uh, not quite the same wording, but I believe over in Mark's Gospel as well. But it's found uh, identically, it's identical to Jesus' words recorded in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. He's quoting from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' words in the Gospel of Luke. And notice Paul refers to Jesus' words in Luke as Scripture. This is evidence, by the way, that Luke, and by implication the other, four, the other three Gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, and John, are divinely inspired that God spoke those words, as well as Paul's words, as well as Peter's words, and so on and so forth. And he says the laborer is worthy of his wages. The laborer who labors, uh, who works hard at teaching and preaching, is worthy to be compensated appropriately for his efforts. And so, the instruction uh, to the New Testament churches similarly. Secondly, this passage not only deals with compensation of elders, uh, of under shepherds, of the great shepherd, but it also deals with the discipline of elders, in verses 19 through 21. Let me read those. Um, actually, I'll hold off on reading that. Let me just say this. Though, hopefully, um, among the most mature and godly Christians in the congregation that they oversee, all elders, no matter how spiritually mature or godly, we are still sinners. The point I made with you children here a little while ago. Pastor Mark is a sinner. Uh, All the other elders in our congregation and in every other church in the world are sinners as well. Paul said as much of himself back in chapter 1. You recall chapter 1, verse 15. he, He said, this is the apostle Paul, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. He was a believer when he wrote that. Sinners are believers. Are sinners saved by grace? That's what we are, and and that includes uh, apostles like uh, Paul. And as such, elders who are also sinners are capable of sinning and even of falling into serious sin. It is possible. So, in verses nineteen and twenty, Paul indicates what a church body like this one, should and should not do if an accusation of serious sin or unrepentant sin is made against one of their elders. Now let me read verses 19 through 21 now. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who, and I'm not reading this, by the way, for those of you that have the New American Standard, I'm not reading it uh, the way that the Translators rendered rendered here. It can be rendered two ways, and I think the other way is appropriate to the context. Those who are guilty of sin, meaning those elders who are guilty of sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. So, what must the church not do? Verse 19 specifies what the church must not do. The church, a church, when an elder uh, is accused, must not receive as fact an accusation made against an elder for which there isn't sufficient attestation, I'm going to call it. Fancy word, but by this I mean uh, there were an accusation to which there aren't sufficient numbers of people bearing witness to the to the uh, alleged event. Okay? So in other words, there are too few witnesses to the alleged sin. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of 2 or 3 witnesses. You need a minimum of 2 witnesses for an accusation to be deemed credible and to be uh, uh for guilt to be proven of of the accusation. George Knight, in his wonderful commentary on 1 Timothy and the other pastoral epistles as well, he comments about this, this verse here, verse 18, and the need for uh, this, uh, this caution. He says, Because those in positions of leadership are subject to scrutiny, criticism, and rumors, Paul cautions Timothy not to accept or acknowledge as correct an accusation or charge against an elder unless there are the requisite number of witnesses. Because, uh, church leaders essentially have, uh, kind of a bullseye written on them. And, uh, we're, you know, uh, you folks are not, by the way, guilty of this. Um, uh, it's been wonderful, uh, to be a pastor, to pastor y'all. It's been my privilege because uh, i don 't get undue criticism or scrutiny uh, or rumors uh, spread about me or other elders either, uh, as is sadly so often present in other churches, even here in this community. Uh, bless you for that um, but this is that 's why the the uh, the precaution of you need more than just one person saying he did this or he said this. Um, to to make it stick. By the way, this prohibition of, of, of uh, receiving an, ac- an accusation or accepting as a fact an accusation uh, by just mere one person, it is a warning um, to anyone who may wish to accuse an elder, be, be it myself or any of the other elders or uh, future elders you might have, uh, anybody who may wish to accuse uh, one of us of serious sin, uh, it's a warning to such a person that he needs to do any accusing in conjunction with other witnesses. Gossip is a terrible sin. Slander is a terrible sin. And a lot of churches deal with gossip and slander. Not just of church leadership, but even of other people in the church. It's wicked. You folks, again, uh, one of the reasons why I've... Um, Felt blessed to be here 26 years, or nearly so, because I tell other people all the time about you. They're just, it just doesn't happen. I'll hear these horror stories at General Assembly or Presbyterian. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank you. Anyway, so this is one thing that must not be done. Uh, uh, You must not receive uh, as fact something that's. Just mere one one accuser coming forward. Another thing that a church body uh, must not do when seeking to implement the procedures set forth in verses 19 and 20 is to prejudge the case before all the facts are in or to show partiality at any point uh, in the process of of trying to uh, establish the facts. So that's what Paul is saying there in verse uh, 21. I solemnly charge you, this is right after verses 19 and 20, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles, in other words, that I just articulated in verses 19 and 20, uh, 20, without bias, that is to say, without uh, without prejudging, uh, and doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful as he who calls you. And he also will bring it to pass. Amen.